You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Six is where we're going to be today as we kick off a new series that we've entitled Sacramental Living. And uh, the whole idea behind this series is a, a sacrament is a visible expression of an invisible grace. Or another way of saying it, a sacrament is an outward physical symbol of an inward spiritual reality. That's what the word sacrament actually means. And throughout church history, um, there's actually been two different sacraments that the church has always held to. Um, two sacraments that actually Jesus commanded us to observe. One of them is the sacrament of baptism, which after I preach today, we'll have three baptisms um, that we're going to celebrate. And uh, that's one of them. The other sacrament is Lord's Supper or communion, which, you know, if you're part of our church, uh, we take every single week. And what I recognize is over the last 10 years, I've never once preached on either one of those things, on baptism or the Lord's Supper. And so uh, this week we're going to tackle baptism. There's a lot of misconceptions. What exactly is baptism? Uh, next week we're going to talk about Lord's Supper, about communion, about the Eucharist. Um, and then the week after that we'll talk about how to experience God's presence in the everyday stuff of life. But again, for this This week, we're going to look at baptism, and to do that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. I'm going to invite you, as we do each week, to stand with me now out of reverence for God's Word as we read this text together. Uh, We believe that this is God's living Word spoken to us, and so I'm going to read today Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 11. We won't cover every one of those verses, but I want to read them all for Context And um, if you're interested, by the way, the notes for the, the sermon today are on the YouVersion Bible app, and you can uh, grab those if that interests you. Romans 6, starting in verse 1, I'm reading from the NIV. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus, or just as Christ, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for those who are able to be here today, for those watching online um, we know there are many in our church and in our community who are sick or they know those who are sick. And so we do just pray for healing. We pray for protection. We pray right now as we dive into the text, as we dive, dive into your sacred scriptures, that you would just open our hearts to receive the word that you now have for us, that we would live as a sacramental people who remember our baptism. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. 
On February the 7th, 1940, Disney premiered its second animated feature, which went on to be one of the most celebrated films of all time. Um, it's actually, anybody, anybody in here familiar with Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critics, it's the only film on Rotten Tomatoes that has a 100% rating. Anybody know which film that it is? Anybody? It's actually Pinocchio. Um, and if you are, uh, you know, most of you, I imagine you, you know the movie Pinocchio. Do we have a picture of that? Can we put, there it is. You guys familiar with Pinocchio? Yes, everybody for the most part. Some are shaking your head, some are not. Okay, well, let me give you a refresher. Um, Pinocchio is about this lonely old woodcarver named Geppetto who wants a boy so bad that he carves one out of wood. Uh, Geppetto then goes to bed that night and while he's asleep, this benevolent fairy uh, makes her way into the house and she turns Pinocchio into this real life puppet. She then goes on to tell him that, hey, if you can prove yourself, if you can be kind, if you can be generous, if you can be brave, if you can be selfless, I will turn you into a real life boy. Sounds easy enough. However, as you know, if you've watched this movie, despite Pinocchio having Jiminy Cricket as his conscience, Pinocchio goes astray. Rather than going to school, he goes to a puppet show, right? Rather than telling the truth, he lies. Rather than going home, he actually goes to Pleasure Island. And if you're watching the movie, I mean, Pinocchio's life just begins to fall apart. I mean, the guy is a mess. And just when it seems like all is lost, Pinocchio hears that Geppetto, his creator, is swallowed by a whale. And so Pinocchio, on his own accord, his own free will, he heads to the ocean, he saves Geppetto from the whale, and because of his kindness, kindness, because of his benevolence, he's brought to life as a real boy. Now, I know most of you are familiar with that plot, but here's what I want you to consider. Have you ever noticed how this story, along with many of the other stories we love, how it actually centers on a search for identity? Have you ever noticed that? How, how it, it, it focuses on the search to be the real me. Um, from Beauty and the Beast to Cinderella to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars to Maribel and Disney's new hit movie Encanto. Um, all of these stories really are about an identity granted or a true identity that is trying to be recovered. Uh, Ralph Ellison uh, is the author of the novel The Invisible Man and he was once asked, would you say that the search for identity is primarily an American theme? To which he answered, and a search for an identity is the American theme. He wanted to talk about how, how you know, from, from, you know, Huckleberry Finn on the water to Rocky Balboa in the ring. The theme of identity dominates our stories because our search for identity dominates our lives. Like Pinocchio, whether you realize it or not, all of us in the room long to be this true version of ourselves. We long to prove to ourselves that we really are somebody. Or like Rocky put it in what I think is one of the most American films of all time. uh, All I want to do, he says, is go the distance so I'll know I'm not just another bum from the streets. See, whether you realize it or not, we are all in here on a journey trying to discover our true identity. We're trying to answer the question, who am I really? And therefore, as a result, how should I spend my short time here on earth? And this is where the problem comes in. Because in our search for identity, what often happens is rather than looking to Christ, we look to culture. Uh, Rather than allowing God to tell us who we are, we let the world define us, which as a result creates this identity crisis. For some of you in here today, maybe you are someone who roots your identity in your performance. You're someone who believes the lie, I am what I do. Think about the questions that we ask 
How many points are you averaging? What did you make on your ACT? Where did you get your degree from? What do you do for a living? How much money do you make? What did you, what did you, uh, you know, race or what did you get in your race? Like, you know, what was your time? Right? What was your score? What was your distance? When you're a pastor, like the question that other pastors are asking others are, how many are you now running on Sunday mornings post COVID? As if like people are cattle, right? And we're just trying to like, you know, see how many we can get into a room or whatever else. These are all performance based questions. These are all about results, and, and results in and of itself is not a bad thing, but oftentimes, because of the lies we believe from our culture, we're tempted to believe that these achievements, or lack thereof, are the most important thing about us. For some of you, performance is not your deal at all. For you, you don't root your identity in your performance, but in your possessions. These are people who believe the American lie, I am what I have. People who believe the lie, I am what I wear, the brand, or, or whatever. I am what I text on. I am what I drive. I am the house that I live in. These are people who buy into this American mantra, work, buy, spend, repeat. Work, buy, spend, repeat. Some of you, maybe you root your identity in pleasures. These are people who believe the lie, I am what I want. I think one of the most cutting examples of this right now in our culture is around sexual orientation where people will give themselves based off of uh, an identity, based off of their sexual desires. That's why we say things like, I am gay or I am straight, right? It's an identity based off of what I feel. And, And listen, here's the thing. Sexuality is important, but it's not the most important thing about you. Like it's not the essence of who you are. Desires are important. We all have desires, Right From, again, our sexual preferences to the type of foods we want to eat, and these desires are real and they're important, but they're not the realest thing about who you are and therefore how you're called to live. For others in here, maybe you tend to root your identity in popularity. These are people who believe the lie, I am what other people think of me. Uh, for some of us in here, we live our lives as if we're in the high school cafeteria all the time. Um, we're still trying so hard to fit in with the cool kids in society. Um, we feel the pressure when we're around other people to be more than we really are, to be better than we really are, to be cooler than we really are, smarter than we really are. I think this is a bigger temptation than ever with social media where we are literally airbrushing and filtering our lives. Why? For the purpose of projecting an image of ourselves that does not correspond with reality so that we can in return impress people who, guess what, in the end don't even care. They don't even care. I have a friend uh, that I follow on Instagram. Um, he will not listen to this sermon. He's an atheist. He lives like 13 hours from here. Uh, and so I, I, I can say this. like I follow this guy on Instagram, a friend of mine, and almost every single day, it's either a picture of him with his shirt off after he just got done working out or tanning, or it's a picture of his car, this new gadget that he's got, or his house that he has, this boat that he bought, or whatever else. And every single post, it, it's like he is just saying, please, somebody tell me that I'm good. Please tell me I'm awesome. Please validate me. Like, tell me that I'm amazing. And I don't use my friend as an example to throw him under the bus, but I think if we can be honest, there are many of us in the room today who face that same temptation. There are many of us, if we can be honest, I think we place a higher premium on what other people think of us than we actually realize that we do. And and it could come across and, and just always posting, you know, selfies on social media. It could be that. But it also could be not speaking up when you need to speak up. 
Not telling the truth when you need to tell them the truth. Not sharing your faith. It could be you know, come across, across in a refusal to be open or honest or to exaggerate the truth so people can be impressed with you, right? When we believe this identity that I am what other people think of me, our emotional state primarily rises and falls based off of what other people think of us. As long as you're okay with me, then I can be okay, if that makes sense. My point is just this. Performance, possession, Pleasures, popularity, these are all places, guys, that every single person in here is tempted to find our identity. And the reason this is so dangerous, please hear me on this. You're like, if you're like, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because when you root your identity in these things, you are ultimately rooting your self-worth and your happiness and your security in something that can be taken away from you like that. I can give you example after example. If your identity, for example, is rooted in your performance as a parent, and you find all of your joy, and I've got to have good kids. I've got to have good kids. Well, what if your kid don't turn out good? Like, what if your kid doesn't doesn't reach the standard of whatever you think they need to be? I remember Jeff Schulte. You guys know he's had a big impact on our lives. Uh, um, overseas in ministry, Adam actually works with him from out of Nashville. And he said one time that there was a dad he was talking with. Said, "Man, on my tombstone, what I wanted to say is he was a good dad." And Jeff Schulte said, "Well, I'd hate to be your kid." And he said, what are you talking about? He said, because how do you know if you were a good dad? Well, I'll have good kids. He's like, that's a lot of pressure. So basically what you're saying is my kids need to be good for me to basically be the person that I want everybody to remember me as. You build your life on that. How do you know your kids are going to turn out good? Like, what if they don't reach whatever standards you have for them? Like, then how are you going to have joy and peace and satisfaction? Or what if your identity is found in your career and your career ends or you have a bad year or whatever else it may be? Um, what if your sense of self-worth comes from being bigger, faster, and stronger than other people? And as you get older, <laughs> you actually get smaller and slower and weaker. See, if your identity is rooted in your performance, what do you do when all of a sudden you can't perform as well as the person next to you? What if your identity is rooted in your possessions and you have to downsize your house or you can't get the cool phone you look around, you notice all these other kids or people that, that have stuff that you don't have that you wish you could have, but your parents or you can't really afford it. Like, then how are you going to find contentment? What if your identity is rooted in popularity and the thing that made you cool is not cool anymore? It's not, it's not you know, whatever. You know, like, what, what do you do whenever your hair begins to fall out or things begin to sag? Right? Or you know, people don't care that you were all state anymore. Like, what do you do then? What if your identity is rooted in pleasure and you can't get that thing that you're like, I have to have it to be happy because that's what I feel and I should always let my feelings dominate me and you can't get it. Or worse, you get it and you realize, oh, that still didn't make me happy. My point is just this, guys. If you root your identity in things like this, performance, popularity, pleasure, possessions, you're rooting your life in what Jesus said is a sinking sand. You're finding your self-worth and your happiness and your security and things that will not be able to stand the test of time. They won't. And that is why more than anything else, if we're going to experience the life that God has for us, if we're going to not just survive in this world but thrive in this world, more than anything, here's what we need today. We need to remember our baptism. I wonder how many of you have ever been told that before whenever you're like, I don't know who I am. And you've been told, you know what you need? Remember your baptism. My guess is you've never been told that. 
But that is actually what we need because as we're going to see today in this text, when we remember our baptism, what we are remembering is our true identity. We are remembering who we are in Christ and how he changes our entire life, our past, our present, and our future. You see, when we get into Romans chapter 6, Paul is pointing us to what theologians refer to as union with Christ. You want to try to impress the people who talk theology? I know you guys all do that throughout the week. Um, talk about union with Christ. It is the most talked about theology in all of the Bible that is the least preached on in the churches. In Romans 6, Paul is pointing us to union with Christ, which is this reality that when you trust in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, we become literally one with Jesus. We are now in him and he is in us. And what Paul is going to show us today is that when you are baptized into Christ, There are three things that become true of you. Three things that not only will change who you are, but therefore as a result, how you live. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing we see is this, is that when we remember our baptism, we remember who we are in Christ. We remember all of that. What we remember is that we have been set free from the penalty of sin for the purpose of becoming God's beloved children. That's the first thing we remember in our baptism, that we have been set free from the penalty of sin for the purpose of being God's beloved children. Look with me again in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul says, when you were baptized into Christ, literally, think about this image, you were baptized into Christ's death on a cross, which means... You're no longer, if you're in Christ, you are no longer under the judgment of God because Jesus, through his death, has paid the penalty for your sin. You no longer now have to live in fear of God's wrath. And that's one of the beautiful pictures, as we'll see in just a moment, of baptism. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but water in the Bible and in the ancient times was a sign of God's judgment. I don't know if you knew that. But, but a good example, that is the story of Israel. If you remember, whenever God freed Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land, the Egyptian army, who is under the wrath of God, is following after the Israelites. They're trying to kill them. And when they pass the Red Sea, what happens? Anybody? Yeah, the water crushes them. Right? But whenever the Israelites, God's chosen people, pass through, what happens? They pass through completely unscathed, on dry land. And listen, one of the things that's so beautiful about baptism, which literally, by the way, means to be immersed. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which is used 77 times in the New Testament. And it always means to be immersed, to be submerged, to be put under. And one of the beautiful images of this, of baptism, is just as Israel passed through the waters and came out alive, the same is now true for you. Because of Jesus, rather than being crushed by the water, rather than being uh, crushed by God's wrath, we can, in Christ, now pass through that. Peter goes on to say the same thing. Go read it for yourself later. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says in there that just as the ark delivered Noah... And his family, through God's wrath, the flood of God's wrath, Jesus now is like the ark that does the same thing for you today. This is why in the words of Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You are no longer, if you're in Christ, you are no longer defined by your sin. You're no longer defined by your past. You're no longer defined by that abortion that you had. You're no longer defined by that divorce. You're no longer defined by that thing that you did that your parents know nothing about. Instead, if you are in Christ, you are defined by the perfection of Jesus Christ. 
If you've been baptized into the death of Jesus, you have gone, the Bible says, from being God's enemy to being his beloved child, which means as you sit right now, no matter what you did this week or did not do this week, God delights in you. He shines upon you. You are special to him. And there is nothing, nothing you can do to change that reality. Somebody say amen to that, please. Gracious. We've got anchor over this, man. It's, it's, this is it. This is the gospel. There's, there's no greater news than this. And, and I think the way that, the reason we can hear this and not amen it and not jump out of our seats in excitement is because we don't really get what that means in here. Yeah, we get it in here. Tell me something new, pastor. Preach something different. It's in here, but man, is it in here. Man, it's so easy for us to, to just come in here and go through the motions week after week and sing these songs and hear this preach and it not settle into here. And I know that is true because what happens is we go through our life, like we, we sing these songs on Sunday, but on Monday, it's like we, we, we begin to live as if God changes his mind about us based off of our performance. And so we live with this kind of mindset of he loves me, he loves me not kind of relationship. We believe these lies that, okay, if I read my Bible today, God loves me. I didn't read my Bible today, he loves me not. I prayed today, he loves me. I didn't pray today, he loves me not. I tithe to the church. I was nice and patient with my kids, or I obeyed my parents, or I didn't look at porn, he loves me. Man, I lusted after that girl. I was greedy. I wasn't kind. I wasn't patient. He loves me not. That might be the way our culture works, but that is not the way God works. God loves you if you are in Christ. He loves you and he accepts you not because of your performance, but because of Christ's performance on your behalf. And this is why we need to continue to be reminded of the gospel. Paul goes on to say this in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now, listen to this, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see what Paul is saying here? He says, you're not defined by your performance. Don't listen to the lies. You're not defined by what you do. You're not defined by what other people say about you. You're not defined by what you have. You're not defined by your feelings. We need to hear this today, man. Like one of the beautiful things about the church is if you look around, like, man, here's the thing. We have in this church top executive leaders. We have people with PhDs. There's a, a woman in our church has a PhD in microbiology, whatever that is. And then we have people who don't even have a high school education. And guess what? That might matter out there. It don't matter at all in here. PhD or, or GED, it doesn't matter. We are all on the same playing field. We are family. We are children of God defined by what Christ has done for us. Because you've been baptized into Christ, you've been freed from the penalty of sin, so that right now, as you sit, 
or as you stand, you stand as God's holy and blameless beloved child. Do you realize the word that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism, if you're in Christ, are the same exact words he speaks over you? That you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased, and nothing, nothing will ever change that. So when we remember our baptism, that's the first thing we remember. That we have been saved from the penalty of sin for the purpose of now being God's beloved children. Secondly, when we remember our baptism, and I'll move much quicker on these last two, but when we remember our baptism, we remember we are being saved now from the power of sin for the purpose of good works. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Translation, if you have trusted in Jesus, get this, the resurrection power of Christ is now coursing through your veins. Paul goes on to say it like this in a couple chapters later in Romans 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, union with Christ, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit, listen to this, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. Put another way, if you have trusted in Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you right now. You now have within you a power that death itself cannot stop. Wow. Just recently watched this was a new Marvel movie or Avengers movie. I can't keep up. My kids were watching it and son's impressed with all that stuff. And it's like, man, you have a power in you that's greater than any power that an Avenger has. Like, that's true. That's not a fairy tale. Paul goes on to say, because of this, in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're not. Why? Because if you're in Christ, not only are you saved from the penalty of sin, you are now also, through the Spirit, being freed from the power of sin. And because that is true, listen, you now don't have to do what you want to do. Did you hear how I said that? You now, because you have the Spirit's power, don't have to do what you want to do. In our culture, here's how we define freedom. Getting to do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. Freedom is that you don't have to do whatever you want to do. Because you have the Spirit's power now in you, because you've been baptized into Christ, you no longer have to live as a slave to evil or corrupt desires that in the end, though it feels right, will lead you to death. Which means, despite what you have been told, listen guys, you're not a lost cause. You're not. You're not hopeless. You're not stuck. You don't have just this ball and chain or this generational sin that maybe your parents had, your mom had, your dad had that you're just going to carry with you for the rest of your life. Because you have the spirit in you, you can change. You can grow. You can mature into the likeness of Jesus. And Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39, it says this, Through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from every sin. Are there any sins that you want to be freed from today? Certain things that you've just been struggling with for for months and months or years and years. 
Listen again to what Paul says. He says, through this man Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That means you've been freed from the penalty of sin. And everyone who believes, he says, is freed from every single sin. You can be freed. In Christ, you have new resurrection life, which means you can become the man you want to become, the woman you want to become, who God has made you to be. And so we remember our baptism and we remember it. We remember that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We remember that we are being saved from the power of sin. And lastly, we remember our baptism because when we remember our baptism, when we remember our union with Christ, we also remember that one day we will be saved from the presence of sin for the purpose of enjoying life with God forever. Verse five, Paul says, for if we have been united with him, that's union with Christ, In a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's what Paul just said. Just as Jesus physically experienced a death, burial, and resurrection, those who are in Christ will one day physically experience a death, burial, and resurrection. As John the Revelator says in Revelation, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from your eye. No more tears. There's a day where there's going to be no more sickness, no more waves of COVID, no more uncertainty, no more death, no more pain, no more divorce, no more relational breakdown. There's coming a day in the words of Isaiah where gladness and joy will overtake you, will apprehend you. Think about that. There's coming a day for those in Christ Jesus that even if you didn't want to be happy, You couldn't not be happy. No matter how hard you tried, gladness and joy will overtake you. I think of those famous words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, there's coming a day when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you this morning, you look at your life and it feels hopeless. You look around, don't see a lot of friends, you feel hopeless. You look at your finances, you feel hopeless. You look at the news, you feel hopeless. You look at the stats, you feel hopeless. You look at your marriage, you look at your health, you feel hopeless. Some of you in here, you honestly believe right now that your best days are behind you. And if you trust in Jesus, that's not true. Not by a long shot. Because Jesus has experienced the death, burial, and resurrection, you too, if you are in him, will one day physically experience a death, burial, and resurrection, which means, yes, guys, listen, life on planet Earth is hard. Man, it's hard. There are weeks where we feel like we have been body slammed over and over and over. And listen, that actually shouldn't surprise you. Jesus said, expect it. In this life, he said, you will have many troubles. But here is the good news. Praise be to God. If you have been baptized into Christ, no matter what happens here on earth, the best really is yet to come. It's yet to come. This is what our baptism reminds us of. It's that we have this new identity in Christ, one that shapes our past, our present, and our future. 
And with all of this in mind, here's what I want to do before we have our our three baptisms. Here's what I want to do. This is an invitation I want to extend to those of you here and to those who are watching online. The first invitation is this. I've got three. First one is this. If you have never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that right now. You're building your life on someone or something. You realize that? You're putting your trust in someone or something, your faith in someone or something. No, man, I'm my own man. I'm my own girl. No, you're not. You are depending on someone or something to give you significance and security and hope and joy and peace. And the call today is to stop building your life on sinking sand, to stop rooting your identity in popularity or pleasure or performance or possessions and look to the person of Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Obey Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Well, Jared, I prayed a prayer. I'm not talking about praying a prayer. I'm talking about not you just saying, I don't want to go to hell when I die. I'm talking about you not just giving God your next life. Give him this life. If you want Jesus to be your savior, he has to be Lord of all of your life, your past, your present, and your future. Surrender it all to him then you will find true freedom. Second invitation is this. If you have given your life to Jesus and you have never been baptized, you need to be baptized. And I use that word need intentionally. Because when you read the Bible, it is abundantly clear that baptism is in the non-optional category. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus is about to ascend to go back with his father. It's his last parting words. And think about this. If you were dying or if you were about to leave this earth and uh, if you were Jesus about to ascend, you know these are my last words. You're not going to waste them. And here's his last words. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is an imperative. That is a command. That's why when you read the book of Acts, on almost every page, the gospel is preached, people believe, and then immediately they are baptized. They're baptized. They are immersed. They're submerged underwater. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch. They literally go down into the water and they come back out. And so guys, please hear me. This is a really big deal. It's a very big deal. I was just telling someone after the the first service, I became, I realized later in life that I actually... Um, I, I, I thought I grew up Baptist, so there's really weird language in Baptist worlds. Like we make words up, and like we make like kind of things up. And and one of those things is rededication. And so like you know, I, I believed whenever I was 20 that I'd rededicated my life to God. But what really happened is after I got kicked out of college, I became desperate, and God saved me. That's what happened. Like that was when Jesus became the Lord of my life. And I realized a few years after that that really what I thought was a rededication was actually me truly being converted, like me truly experiencing salvation. And so um, I was baptized, and literally, you know when I was baptized? The day before this church's first launch, before our first Sunday service, because I became so convicted of, man, I need to be baptized on the right side of my conversion. This is a big deal. Jared, are you saying that that baptism saves me? No. I believe it's also clear, and the pastors believe it's clear, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So I don't believe baptism saves you, but I will say this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized on the right side of your conversion, out of disobedience, then you should have no assurance for your salvation. Jared, where could you, how could you say such a thing? Because... 
How do you know in the book of Acts? What is the question that, that Paul asked? Go read Acts on your own today. What is the question that the early church would ask somebody to know if they've truly been converted? It's not, have you prayed this prayer? It's, have you received the Holy Spirit? That's the mark of true conversion. The Spirit of God comes and lives in you. And listen, here's what's happened. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, you know what he's going to tell you to do? What Jesus has told you to do. He's going to call you to be obedient to the voice of Jesus. And the very first step of obedience when you begin to follow Jesus is baptism. And so if you've never been baptized on the right side of your conversion, you need to do that. What about if I was baptized when I was an infant? Does that count? What if I was baptized as a baby? Well, I'd say praise God for the faith of your parents. But the faith of your parents isn't what saves you. It's not. You're saved because of your own personal faith in the finished work of Jesus. And what we see again over and over and over and over and over in the Bible is someone is baptized after they place a personal faith in Jesus Christ. I love the Presbyterians. I love the Anglicans. I just had a breakfast with an Anglican priest from Jonesboro just two weeks ago. I love them. I think they're brothers in Christ. And I, love it. I, I, I love Catholics. But here's the thing. There is nowhere in the Bible that supports infant baptism. Nowhere. And my belief is just simply this. We probably shouldn't build a whole doctrine on infant baptism when it's not even mentioned in the scripture. And so I would say if you were baptized as an infant, again, praise God for your parents and their faith. But now it's time for you to step into what they hoped would be true of you, which as an adult, you would be a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus Christ, which means you will be baptized. Lastly, I would say the invitation is this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have been baptized, the call for you today is just simply to remember your baptism. To remember your baptism. As you see people come up here today and get baptized, remember your own baptism. You know the great reformer Martin Luther? Uh, we're here today thanks to Martin Luther breaking away from the Catholic Church and getting us, you know, the copy of scriptures and all these things. Martin Luther's awesome. But if you ever studied the life of Martin Luther, you know he was a man who struggled immensely with depression and anxiety and doubts and am I really saved? And I mean, the devil really harassed Martin Luther. Go read about him sometime. And so there were seasons where he was like, man, have I truly been converted? Does God really love me? And so what he did is he took a plaque and he hung it on his wall and the plaque read, remember your baptism. And even though Martin Luther definitely, go read his works, he believed salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. People would think he was crazy because there were times when he would go through dark seasons and they said he would literally walk around and say out loud, I am baptized, I am baptized, I am baptized. Why? Because it was a reminder of who he is in Christ. The call today, if you are a Christian and if you've been baptized, remember that baptism and what it signifies. If you find yourself sitting in guilt or shame over what you have done, remember your baptism. When you feel overwhelmed by sin, you feel hopeless, like, man, I'm, I'm stuck, I'll never change, remember your baptism. When you're disappointed with life and you feel like the best days are behind you, remember your baptism. Because when you remember your baptism, you remember that you have been saved from the penalty of sin for the purpose of now being God's beloved child. That you are right now through the resurrection power of Jesus and his spirit being freed from the power of sin for the purpose of being able to do good works. And then we also remember that one day we will be freed completely from the presence of sin for the purpose of enjoying life with God forever.